Hello, I'm Sam and welcome to the Learn and Experience podcast, exploring and making sense of the world we live in through adventure, life skills and language. Today I'm joined by our two regular team members from Learn and Experience, the people bringing the world's youth together since 2009. We've got language guru Mike. Hello. And our very own Miss Positive, Julie. Hi there. This episode will be visiting Australia, China, the USA, Belgium, South Africa and the UK in Around the World in Six Stories. And in the big discussion this week, we talked about free speech, hate speech and the freedom of the press. We'll be visiting Japan in Fact or Fiction. And our youth spotlight this week will be on Michael, who's made a remarkable journey to gain a place at a prestigious boarding school. And this week on Life Skills, I learned a really cool breathing exercise that can help you relax, feel less anxious, and help you get to sleep. In the Language Corner this week, have you ever wondered why certain English words don't sound English? Well, we look at this in the Language Corner. This is the Learn and Experience podcast. Okay, Julie, where are we visiting this week? Okay, first off, we are off to South Africa, where new technology is being used to protect a blind black rhino from poachers. So Munu the rhino was rescued after conservationists found him lost and walking in circles. So after being tranquilized, a surgeon confirms that he did in fact have two detached retinas. Fortunately, Munu now lives in Mantis Founders Lodge and is one of only a few hundred southwestern black rhinos left in the world. So what poachers do, they'll track um, and kill rhinos for their horns, which can be sold for quite a lot of money. Um, The poachers will also use darkness to sneak up on the rhinos. And as Mumu is blind, he can't protect himself very well. So that is why this new thermal heat technology is now being used overnight to see where Mumu is and to see if there's any humans coming close to him. I've got this such a fascinating story, Julie. I've got an image in my head of a, a rhino sort of, quite distressing walking around in circles how did they spot that he was in, that he was blind they well they just they just figured it out he the fact that he was walking in circles and he did look quite disorientated that's when they tranquilized him and and and, and the surgeon had a look but it was interesting the way that they made the enclosure um they, they he'd obviously been one eye had gone before the other so he'd been walking i think it was clockwise so when they built his enclosure they actually built it so that he could walk around almost like a, a wheel uh, but then unfortunately he lost sight in the other eye so it's kind of like a triangle his enclosure now so um but bless him he's being very he's being very well looked after um they've actually the conservationists conservationists have now launched a community outreach project because they realized that you know people could get really close to Munu because he's blind so he's actually a bit of an ambassador now ambassador rhino hmm. Hmm. i'm visiting the US of A this week, where a story about a new form of transportation has emerged. Have you ever wondered what the future of transport might look like? For me, when I was a kid, I was inspired by the film Back to the Future. And I remember watching Marty McFly on the back of a skateboard being pulled along by a lorry. And I thought, was it a lorry or a bus perhaps? And I thought, wait, that could be the way to get to school. Virgin Hyperloop, a US company, this week held the first test of a technology called a Hyperloop system, which allows people to travel at really high speeds 
through this special tube. Um, and they tested it out on a short 500 meter test center and, and it went really well. So it could be that this technology could be the future. If you think that trains can go up to for between 120 and 150 miles an hour, an aeroplane around 600 miles an hour, this Hyperloop can reach speeds of 650 miles an hour. And the idea is that it can transport not only people, but also freight. So it can, it can be used to distribute anything. Uh, and an idea is that, to give you an idea of how fast that is, you could reach, you could go, you could travel from LA to New York in one hour. And it, at the moment, even by aeroplane, it takes, what, seven hours, eight hours, something like that. I think that's pretty amazing. Which company is it, Mike? It's um, Virgin. Virgin. Yeah, I think Virgin. there's a few. I think te Tesla, good old Elon yeah, Musk, is it, doing similar things as well, isn't he? Underground in LA, building I, a. I think Elon Musk uh, created the technology, but he's since given away the permission to other companies to to adopt yeah. it. What a guy! Yeah, <laughs> what a guy! <laughs> So I'm going to Australia now, where Prime Minister Scott Morrison has announced that the words to the country's national anthem would be changed slightly to show more respect for the groups of indigenous people that have lived in Australia long before Europeans arrived. So people lived on the continent of Australia and nearby islands for over 60,000 years. And people from Europe began to arrive and settle in Australia in the late 1700s. The country we know as Australia now was only formed in 1901. Australia's current anthem, Advance Australia Fair, was written by a teacher named Peter Dodds in 1878. But the song didn't become Australia's national anthem until 1984, when it was chosen to replace God Save the Queen. So the change to the current anthem is a really small one, but really important one. Just one word. The old lyrics which said, we are young and free, have now been changed to say, we are one and free. Which is really important because basically, they're an ancient country and the, the original lyrics weren't showing that. So I think hats off to, to Australia for recognizing the error. And uh, yeah, it's important that they recognize these, these little details to include everyone. Funny yeah, how think... one, one small word, one word can make such a massive difference. Mm. That's amazing. Well done, Australia. Yeah, just because something has been like that for so many years, it doesn't need to be that way. I think that's a really good lesson. Yeah. Okay, heading a bit closer to home in the UK now, uh, where 14-year-old breakdancer B-Girl Terra is aiming for Olympic gold in 2024. So... Breakdancing was recently made an official sport and it will be for the Paris uh, 2024 Olympics. So B-girls and B-boys all over the world have a new goal to achieve. So I know obviously Sam and Mike, you know what breakdancing is, but for those of you who don't, it's a style of street dancing that incorporates coordination, acrobatic and intricate body movements, style and aesthetics. Um, so B-girl Terra has been breaking since she was tiny. She thinks she started breakdancing when she was one year old and won her first international battle at the age of five, and that was in France. 
Um, what's very cool is she dances with her big sister, and her big sister is called B-Girl Eddie, uh, and their father helps them out with their routines. So, um, and I follow her on Instagram, and I've had a look at some of her videos, and it, it, absolutely phenomenal. Um, I wish I was that cool and could dance like her. Um, so yeah, good luck to B-Girl Tara uh, in, in the Paris Olympics. Really cool story. What was the, the last sport that was added before breakdancing? Was it surfing? Yeah, so I saw when I was doing the research for this, it was surf, there was three, and yes, surfing was one of them. I can't remember what the other two were yeah, I think, off the top uh, of my head. but Speed, speed climbing has been added, hasn't speed it? Speed climbing, that was it, yeah. I'm off, to, I'm off to Belgium, where Thomas Lecoq of the Royal Observatory has led a study that shows that since lockdown has begun, there is a greater chance of detecting the early signs of earthquakes. And this is because the reduction in human activity because of lockdown has meant that they can use what's called seismic noise. Seismic noise is, is the, the Earth's vibrations, all of the Earth's noises that come as a result of human activity, like cars or aeroplanes or foot passengers or even jackhammers like drilling into the into the pavement all of these things are what's called seismic noise and they're studied by a specific scientist called a seismologist and they reckon that because of lockdown because everybody's in their houses there's 50 percent less uh less interference so hopefully they say that they can predict the early signs of earthquakes in order to to predict them and then prevent them which should be really good all these little small things just to make life in pandemic era a little bit better <laughs> so I yeah mean, we need something right <laughs> we do need something early detection for earthquakes i'm i'm all on it I'll perfect take it. i'll yeah. take it great story mike we are in china now China's Chang'e 5 moon mission has successfully returned samples from the moon to Earth. China has reported that the capsule carrying the samples had landed safely in Mongolia. The recovery marked a successful end to a trip that lasted just over three weeks. So the Chang'e 5 is China's third mission to land on the moon and its first to collect samples. So unlike the US efforts to collect the moon samples in the 60s and 70s, there were no astronauts on this trip. The mission was run using only robotic machines. Seven days after launch, its lunar lander and ascent vehicle touched down on the moon's surface. The lander had to work quickly because it, was, it wasn't built to stand up to the extremely cold temperatures of the lunar night for very long. The Chang'e 5's lander collected lunar soil and rock samples from the surface, as well as drilling down six and a half feet to collect other samples. After about 19 hours on the moon surface, the ascent vehicle lifted up off the moon again. Five days later, the ascent vehicle docked with the orbiter, which was orbiting around the moon while the lander was at work on the surface. In all, the Chang'e 5 collected about two kilograms of samples, which doesn't sound a lot, but it's really important. Really important for figuring out how old the rocks are and will help scientists get a better idea of the age of almost everything else in Spain. So it's a big, big moment for space exploration and well done to China. Good work, China. That's amazing. 
So that was Around the World in Six Stories. Okay, so this week in the big discussion, we had a great chat and we talked about things like free speech. Um, before we, we have a little bit of a chat with us, us guys, it'd probably be quite good to define some terms. So I took this from um, Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Um, and it's, it says that everyone has the right to freedom of opinion and expression. This right includes freedom to hold opinions without interference and to seek, receive and impart information and ideas through any media and regardless of frontiers. Free speech is you're able to say whatever you want. For example, if you're a journalist, you can say whatever you want without being, um, without going to court or to prison or anything. In some countries, there's no free speech or anything. Oh. You have um, to 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 say what the state believe or what the government believes, or you may go to prison or stuff. Basically, yeah. you just have the liberty to choose what you want for you, even if yeah. the others are not don't really agree with it. And you can yeah. express your idea clearly without uh, thinking, yeah, maybe they're not going to agree, or maybe going to go to jail or something like that. Okay, we have got fact or fiction, and this week we are going to visit Japan. Ooh. Anybody know anything about Japan? One thing, but I'm not going to tell you in case it comes up in a question. <laughs> Japan is made up of 68 islands. 68 islands. Seems like quite a few but i know that japan is made up of of more than one island i'm gonna go with fiction i think that's a bit too many it seems like a lot but i'm gonna go with fact i'm sorry julie but mike has won but not because of any cleverness <laughs> <laughs> obviously <laughs> because it is fiction but Japan is not made out of 68 islands, but is made up of 6,852 <gasps> islands. So yeah. I'm, I'm kind of reluctant to give this one to Mike. No way. <laughs> oh my God. Because in fact, in fact right you, were, you were closer with the number, Julie, by saying 68, you were closer to 6,852. Mike Sam. actually said less. <laughs> that Sam is true. <laughs> There are over 127 million people living in Japan. I'm, again, using my lovely Japanese student that's living with us. She was talking about how she is from Tokyo and how densely populated it is. So I'm just going to take from that that it is a fact. I'm also going to go fact. I think Japan's around the same size as the UK, more or less. And... Oh, well, that doesn't work out, does it? That's <laughs> million. I'm just going to go fact. With no, with no, 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 no reason. Following my, my source. Yep. He could just basically copy you from now on and he'd win by default. <laughs> Sam, don't give him ideas. <laughs> <laughs> He'll have to go first next time. Uh, it is a fact 
Yeah, it's the 10th largest population in the world. Wow, it's tiny as well. During World War One, Japan fought on the side of the Allies. Well, World War Two, we know that they did not with Pearl Harbor. They kicked, they started the the. Uh, there was a reason why the Americans joined the war. The First World War, I'm going to say that that's fact. I think they did side with the Allies in the First World War. I'm not entirely sure. History is not my strong suit with many other topics. I'm going to go fiction for want to beat Mike. (laughs) 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 This is my only reason. I'm going to say fiction. I'd think they weren't. I'm afraid it's not going to beat Mike, Judy, because it is, in fact, a fact. They did fight on the side of the Allies during the World War I, which is between 1914 and 1917. But in World War II... They sided with the Axis powers, joining forces with Germany and Italy. Japan is the world's oldest monarchy. Uh, I do know that it's got a very old dynasty of of, uh, kings and queens. Just how old, I'm not sure, but I'm going to... My hunch says that it's fact. Not true, fact. (laughs) My hunch says that it's untrue fiction so i'm gonna go with my hunch fiction not a good week julie (laughs) it is a fact yeah it's emperors trace their descent uh to two and a half thousand years ago wow what a dynasty or dynasty depending on where you are people first came to, to japan about 10,000 years ago. My gut says that's fiction. 10,000 years ago. No, no reasoning, fiction. We had a similar one with Australia, didn't we? About mm. When did the first Australians come? And it was a lot... So, is it a lot, a lot closer than we thought? Um, but I think in this case, it's going to be further back. It says around about 15,000 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so I reckon it's fiction. Uh, you both said fiction. Yes. <clears throat> you're both correct. Yeah, for, the first people came about 30,000 years ago. And in Australia, it was 60,000. So Mike was actually wrong because he said 15. So knock a point. <laughs> <laughs> Uh. Yeah, and they were connected. So they, the main island was connected to Siberian Korea, uh, and uh, so people actually crossed on foot. And wow. the first society were called the Jomon culture, which arose around uh, about twelve thousand years ago. Okay, that was fact or fiction. Okay, so I have got a lovely story for you to spotlight this week. I have got a story about a boy who came to a LNE, so a Learn and Experience summer camp four years ago. Um, this boy was called Michael, and he was pretty, pretty uh, struggled quite a lot when he first arrived with his behavior. 
And according to his mum, she said she was, he was shy, introverted, and unwilling to engage. However, he absolutely thrived at LNE and became one of our stalwarts at camp, came every year. He was given a scholarship. So his mum applied for a scholarship to one of our camps. And he embraced everything that was given to him at camp. And uh, from being this shy, introverted boy, he, I remember a moment where he was on stage doing a, a magic performance and how he uh, talked when he accepted, he, he got a Rising Star Award and he um, made a speech in front of everybody at the age of 10. And the great part of this story is it doesn't end there. So four years later, he's now 13, and he's just been given a place uh, at a prestigious uh, school, independent school, boarding school in the north of England called Durham School. And he's uh, managed to get a funded place at this school where he's now had a term under his belt and he's absolutely thriving and doing brilliantly well. So, Mike, uh, so Michael was adopted at a young age and has had a lot of difficulties throughout his, uh, his childhood. But I think hats off to Michael for, for embracing his opportunities. And, you know, I'm very proud to say that we were a very small part of it. Um, but now I wish Michael all the best and uh, well done. Great work, Michael. Very, very proud of you. Very proud of you indeed. Okay, so this week on Life Skills, I enlisted the help of my lovely wife, who is a movement teacher, and she took me through a, a breathing exercise that can help you relax if you're feeling anxious or stressed, or even if you're struggling to sleep. Now, there's lots of different types of breathing exercises, but the one that she taught me is called box breathing. Um, so the idea is that you breathe in for a count of four, hold your breath for four, breathe out for a count of four, and hold again for four. So the great thing about this is that you can do it anytime, um, any, anywhere. All you need to do is to be able to count and, of course, breathe. So Sam and Mike, do you want to try it with me? And I'll, I'll try and guide you through some box breathing. Um, yes, feel, free to, to, to feel free to follow along at home. Okay, so what we're first going to do is you're going to put you, one of your hands on your belly because we're going to do belly breathing. Okay, it's really important that you, when you breathe, you breathe into your, into your belly, not, into your, um, not high up into your shoulders. So just take two really deep belly breaths in through the nose and out through the mouth. Or if it feels good, you can do in through your nose and out through your nose. Okay, so we'll start. So breathe in for four, three, two, one, then hold four, three, two, one. Now breathe out four, three, two, one, then hold four, three, two, one. One more time. Breathe in for four. Hold for four. Breathe out for four and hold for four. Okay, and then just return to normal breathing. How, how do you guys feel? Good. 
Yeah, I feel like a big balloon that's been expanded and then just come back down again. Sometimes it's um, people struggle with four seconds, so you can do um, three seconds, or some people can either do five seconds or seven seconds. But I think when people talk about things like, you know, if you're trying to, to lie down and relax, people that try to meditate, I think it's really, people find it really difficult when things come into their head because you're told in meditation, oh, and if something comes into your brain, like what you need to get from the shops next time you go, uh, just let that pass through. And I think a lot of people struggle with that. But if you're simply counting, if you're just counting over and over, nothing else can come into your brain. Uh, no, I, th I think you're right. I think it is. I, I have a, a an app on my watch actually that pops up quite often saying about this breathing and I don't particularly do it very often but when I do do it it feels nice you know you do, there's definitely yeah, it's definitely good for you have you ever wondered why certain English words don't sound English words like pajamas safari bungalow or kindergarten well, the English language loves a good loan from other languages. Over the centuries, it has borrowed expressions and vocabulary from over 45 different languages. So here are some that you may not know that have come into English from elsewhere. Mosquito. That comes from the Spanish, which means little fly. Mosca, mosca, mosquita. Uh, so mosquitoes come from Spanish. Fest like a, a fest, like a festival. You'd think that might be come from, from Fran French or Spanish with the fest. But it's actually from the German word celebration, uh, fest. Uh, the word lemon is an Arabic word. We got that from Arabic with limun, comes from Arabic. And the first lemons, the first citrus fruit came from Arabia. Tattoo is a Polynesian word which was first coined by the British explorer James Cook, who went to Polynesia and discovered that these people had been tattooing themselves for over 200 years. So I'm going to test you now. Uh, where do we think the words entrepreneur comes from? Julian Sam. Uh, that's French. French. Is correct. Avatar. An avatar, which avatar. is... I would say Japanese. Yeah, Japanese or Chinese. Neither. It's Sanskrit. It's a Hindi word. Ah. It uh, hmm. really means the, the deification of something in Hindi. Makes sense. Ballet. Well, I think French. I know this one. I think you'll think it's French. Yes, but French. in all your in all your ballet practice, <laughs> uh, oh, it, mu it must be you French. Going I, with I, French, right? I, I, yeah. So you're both going with French. I don't think it is French, but I think I'm going to go for French. I think you should just stick with your gut because it's French. <laughs> is this a game, course, and am I winning? I just it, want to know. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> So that's that this week on Language Corner. Words that are, and have a look at yourself. There are loads, have a look for yourself. There's lots and lots of words that come from different languages in English. You might surprise yourself. Love that. Thanks, Mike. Our spelling bee with our self-proclaimed worst speller in the world, which is definitely not true because she's proved it over the last few weeks of uh, 
of uh, actually has beaten Mike, our, our language guru. So um, our first word goes back to Julie's story in South Africa. I knew you were going to do this. Have we got a rhinoceros, please? <laughs> okay, so R-H-I-N-O, rhino, and then saurus, H, I'm sorry, S-A-U-R-U-S, <laughs> saurus. Okay. Oh, I think there's a letter wrong there. Mike? I think it's one of those words that's spelt differently from how it sounds. I think it's the first bit I'd agree with. It's R-H-I-N-O. But then I'd say it's C-E-R-O-U-S. Are you writing it down? Is Mike allowed to write it down? Am I allowed to write it down? Well, I don't think it would have made much difference with, with either of you. <laughs> oh. uh, I will say that Mike was much, much closer. Uh, it's not a dinosaur, Julie. Um, oh, it's a rhinoceros, rhinoceros. not a rhinos, rhinosaurus. Rhin rhinosaurus. Oh, I'm an idiot. So it's. <laughs> Don't talk to yourself like that, Julie. You're not. Come on, Julie. <laughs> Anyone can make that mistake. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've literally heard no one ever make that mistake. But anyway, oh, rhinoceros. No. So Mike was right. It's C E R O, but there's no U, so it's just Ross. So I'm Ross. putting U's in where they're not needed. <laughs> Yeah. So I don't know how you managed to do it, Judy, out of that round, but you both are on zero points. Yes. <laughs> Which is a win for me. <laughs> Which is a win. Uh, we then go to my story in Australia, where uh, the Australian Prime Minister wanted to celebrate their history by including the indigenous people of the country. Uh, so indigenous who is going to go first? Oh, isn't it just I have to go and Mike has to say? Yeah, you're yeah. always first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah indigenous. Yeah, yeah. Indigenous. I-N-D-I-G-E-N-O-U-S. Indigenous. Mike? Yeah, I'm not going to quabble about that. I'd agree well with done. that. Well done, Julie. That was Fabulous. correct. I-N-D-I-G-E-N-O-U-S, indigenous. And then the final, the final one, which was in Mike's language corner, in fact. So close any things that you have open, Mike. The word entrepreneur. Ugh. Ooh, good one. <laughs> There's a lot of U's and E's in that word. <laughs> on, entrepreneur. Okay. E-U-N-T-R-E-P-E-N-O-U-R. Which, okay. which would, which would be the, with the, which would be the word entrepreneur. Which is exactly how I say it. <laughs> uh, so we're going to take Mike. the There's an e, e in there. out at the beginning. We're going to go straight into E-N. Oh. Uh, uh, E-N. Trep. T-R-E-P. Another E-N. Uh, and then E-U-R. I knew there was another E. Entrepreneur. 
I don't know how you managed it, Julie, but you've ended up on a draw this week. Because Mike, <laughs> Mike Mr. R out. What? E N T. No, no, no. Get, get Mike to spell it. E N T R E P. E N. Yeah, you've done it again. You've done it again. There's an R after the P. Pre R print. Entrepreneur. Entrepreneur. Of course. Entrepreneur. So there's no U at the start. No. So it doesn't go EU, it goes ENT. Good to know. That is good to know. I've learned something. I always say entrepreneur, but it's entrepreneur. Printer. I can barely say it as it is. I try not to say it. Uh, every person <laughs> Oh, Sam, bless you. It's a hard one for you. It's a really hard one. Rory, what? the entrepreneur. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, so yeah. take that as a win. Uh, with with zero right. <laughs> oh, oh no, you you got indigenous. So that's indigenous. It. Yeah, that's a win. Well done. Okay, that was the Learn and Experience podcast. Bye, Julie. Bye, Mike. Bye, Sam. Bye, everybody. We hope you enjoyed the show. That was the Learn and Experience podcast, exploring and making sense of the world we live in through adventure, life skills, and language. You can follow us on our social media through Instagram, Twitter, and our Facebook. And you can see everything else that we're doing on our website, www.learnandexperience.com.